Welcome back to the Warehouse Podcast. I'm Tyler. I'm Jesse. And we are missing our third member, Eli, this week. He had some professional stuff come up, but he will be back next week. And uh, Jesse, we're talking about some good Orioles baseball this week. The Orioles are kind of fun to watch. Yeah, definitely. We're over 500 since our last recording, and we only have two losses this month. So I think we're five and two on the month in total. Yeah, and that was, you know, I I was feeling really good prior to yesterday when right the matt harvey debacle kind of soured things a little bit yeah i was i was i was excited to come on uh tonight (laughs) and do the podcast and say that we have a new baseball team and then we were kind of reminded last night with harvey's start that uh it's not that different a team right well and it was kind of like all around like okay cedric mullins made a really cool catch so that was like a, a continuation of sort of what we've been seeing lately but the offense only scored one run. Uh, Matt Harvey was terrible. Max Scaruller was back and was really bad. Like, it was a lot of stuff that kind of soured it. But prior to right. that, and we'll get into Matt Harvey in particular here in a little bit. But prior to that, it was a really fun week. The two games before that, they scored, what, a co- combined like 28 runs in over 18 innings. That was awesome. For sure, yeah. And, uh, I mean, we're going to talk about him, but Cedric Mullins, oh, uh, yeah. of course, going nine consecutive at-bats, uh, you know, going nine for nine with and then walking uh was amazing to watch having a five for five night overall um i mean yeah no and of course uh mountcastle too has been really Mm -hmm. exciting too which i do feel like we kind of gave him some good luck because he was our silver lining of the week last week and uh and then following uh, that he turned it up even more and became al player of the week well, and I mean, I think you should take credit there because I think you kind of you picked the silver lining oh, last week. Definitely. Yeah. OK. <laughs> yeah. I, I'll take credit for that. Yeah. OK, that's fair. So, um, yeah. Another notable thing was uh, prior to our last episode, the Orioles had won, I think, their first home series of the year. And then they beat the Cleveland for their second home series win of the year back to back. Like, that's pretty cool. Amazing. And then we uh, split with the Mets. Who so. the Mets are. Mets are a good team. So, yeah, they you know, are. They're leading the NL East for a reason, so I don't feel too much shame in that. I mean, I will say they are partially leading the NL East because it's a, a very weak division right, right now. But, um, but yeah, they're definitely doing some good things, and they've uh, withstood a lot of injuries too. So what they're doing is actually is actually very impressive, I would say. Absolutely. Um, okay, well, let's get into some, 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 some specifics here. Uh, Ryan Mountcastle, you mentioned American league player of the week this past week, which, you know, I think it's fair to say that Mountcastle has been among the most disappointing players of the year up until, I don't know, three or four weeks ago, he was really struggling this past week. Um, he posted a 458 batting average, which included three doubles, four home runs, 10 RBI, seven runs scored and a 1083 slugging percentage, uh, in the six games last week. Um, it's kind of cool because the Orioles sort of had two pretty legitimate candidates for AL player of the week. I think Cedric Mullins would have been right in that discussion, but we'll talk about him in just a second. Mountcastle sort of the big, big thing for him is his power has kind of come around recently, which, you know, he's not expected to be a 50 home run guy, but I think it's reasonable to say like 25 to 35 home runs. Um, but you know, are, are you seeing anything in particular about Ryan Mountcastle that, you've been impressed by and you know maybe more importantly do you think it's sort of here to stay has he figured stuff stuff out and he's going to be 
a productive member of the lineup for the remainder of the season. Well, I, I, I do think overall he's going to be a productive member of the lineup. I do think Mountcastle is going to be prone to this kind of streakiness. Um, we saw he had a very good year last year, um, and then he struggled really uh, at the beginning of this year. I, I think just kind of his hitting style kind of the fact that he isn't a very patient hitter, doesn't take a lot of walks at the plate and is just kind of a guy that is coming up there to, to mash and to hit for power and uh, have extra base hits and pretty much slug the ball. I think this is a kind of hitting style. He's not a slap hitter that is going to, uh, you know, hit the ball the other way, slap it down the, the first base line or anything like that. So um, I think that kind of his style is going to uh, tend to lead to some sort of streakiness. Um, he, you know, a guy with more patience, I think, is less prone to falling into a slump because they'll be seeing the ball better, a little bit better. They'll draw more walks. Um, so I think kind of the streakiness is something that we're more or less going to have to kind of accept with Mountcastle. I think as his career progresses, he will be able to minimize kind of the low points of the streakiness. Right. And I think that's kind of uh, what his objective is going to be. Um, but overall, I mean, I, I think that uh, what I think what it indicates basically is that we can keep him basically in a pretty good uh, position within the lineup, a pretty stable position within the lineup. And at the end of the year, the numbers are probably going to be there. So, um, no, I mean, I, I, I think, uh, what we've seen is, is definitely encouraging and I'm, I'm excited that, uh, he's really turned it around and, uh, that, that his struggles at the beginning of the year didn't, uh, spiral, uh, and snowball downward. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting thing. You know, I, I think that the, some of the comps I've seen for Mount Castle, uh, you know, prior to this year was a Nick Castellanos comp when he was first coming up, which, you know, Castellanos this year is playing like MVP caliber, but, you know, earlier in his career with the Tigers, he was a bit more of a free swinger, although super talented at the plate had defensive struggles. So you kind of get that. Uh, I think another one's Jonathan scope. If you want to go more Orioles specific, I think he's got some scope elements to his offensive game. Doesn't walk a ton, has a lot of pop, but you know, there's a streakiness there. Um, but yeah, I think he's the simplest thing likely is just that he's gotten reps. He's he's been a major leaguer now for pretty much a full year at this point. You start to kind of figure some things out. He really had some success last year. I think the league figured him out a little bit early this year. And now he's kind of rebounded a little bit and and figured some things out about the league. Also, he's not playing left field nearly as often as he was. I think that could have been playing with his head a little bit. I think you know, he might still just not be comfortable out there. Maybe he'll never be comfortable out there, but a lot of his time now is spent at DH in first base, which, you know, the offensive bar there is a lot higher. So he needs to be hitting and producing to play there regularly. But if that's just sort of what he needs to do for now to kind of get things going a little bit, I'm all for it. Now, if this is where he's going to be long-term, we might need a little bit more offensive production. I mean, granted last week is crazy. If he did that all the time, we're, we're sitting pretty, but in general, he needs to be hitting more better than 252 with a 280 on base and a 430 slug slugging on the year. If, if he's going to play first base full time, but yeah, really encouraged by what I'm seeing from Mount castle recently. And as we mentioned earlier, let's talk Cedric Mullins. Now he's one that 
you know, you can make the argument he's even uh, hitting better than Mountcastle is over his last seven games. Uh, he's batting 536 with three home runs, nine runs, five RBI, five walks, and a 1642 OPS. You don't see 1642 <laughs> OPSs very much, and certainly not from a center fielder who's, you know, typically looked at as like a speed guy, sort of a slasher kind of guy. I mean, Mullins, for me at least, the thing I've kind of been blown away by, I mean, his whole year has been great. But the power he's shown, I think he's got nine homers on the year. I mean, I wasn't seeing that coming this year. What about you? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, the power is is kind of – I mean, I, I don't find myself totally, totally shocked by it. I mean, I think we do have to keep in mind it has been a while since we've really last seen Cedric Mullins, right? So clearly a lot had changed uh, in – obviously the COVID year last year. So he's had a long time to kind of work on some things. And I think we're definitely seeing the effects of that. Um, yeah, I think the power is definitely surprising. It might be a little fluky at this point. I don't, you know, he, he, what's he on pace probably for 30 home runs this year or something like that. Yeah. A little bit but under 30, a little yeah. under. Yeah. So I, I don't think he's going to be a 30 home run guy year in and year out, but I do think he's a guy that can have some pop uh, at the plate and maybe put up 15 home runs and maybe a few years where he has 20 home runs. Um, and I think that would kind of be in more alignment with kind of uh, how his game seems like it's going to develop uh, as he continues on. So. Yeah, I, I was uh, earlier this week for Camden chat. I wrote an article that basically I think it was called uh Cedric Mullins deserves more than all-star buzz because, you know, you're hearing a lot of that is, oh yeah, Cedric Mullins, he could be the starting center fielder for the AL. And I think all that's legitimate for sure. But I also think he's playing like another level above all-star buzz. I mean, like I just said, he's kind of playing like the best center fielder in baseball right now. Now that, that does sound like hyperbole and Mike Trout has spent some time on the IL. So, you know, grain of salt, of course, but he's, you know, he's playing like somebody who deserves to get some votes in an eventual MVP discussion in talks of a gold glove in talks of a silver slugger award. I mean, that's sort of the level he's playing at. I know it's a little premature. We're only 61 games in, but they gave awards out last season after 60 games. So, you know, I think it's, it's reasonable to talk about him having that type of a season. I, and I, I also, I'm glad you brought that up because I also don't want to we get so caught up in the offense and the offensive production that he's put mm -hmm. up this year and we really should not be overshadowing just how tremendous he has been out there in center field right mm -hmm. um i mean it seems like he gets to everything uh and i mean it's so amazing to to and the effect that this has for the pitchers for him to be able to run things down in the outfield. I mean, it's so great. There are so many balls that are hit that are, that look like they are going to be doubles in the gap and he runs them down almost effortlessly and just glides over to the ball. Um, so I, I also don't want to forget about his defensive value um, because it, it's easy to get caught up in the offense, but the defense is really something that I think is special and we need to keep an eye on too. And then uh, as far as the offense, yeah, I mean, I think, I think probably at this point, uh, I, yes, we are a ways off from an MVP conversation. I mean, I think if he were to replicate this, 
throughout the mm-hmm. rest of the season. I mean, yes, I definitely think that's possible. He'd at least be in the discussion of MVP, yeah. right? There, are, of course, a lot of really, really excellent players, of course, in Major League Baseball or in the American League that, uh, you know, he, he's at least uh, on a similar par with. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I, I, I do think uh, at this point, as far as the All-Star stuff, I mean, I think he's pretty much solidifying himself uh, to be a lock for the All-Star game. So, yeah. Yeah. And we'll talk about that uh, in just a second. I wanted to go back kind of to what you were saying a, a few minutes ago about, you know, is this for real? Like, is this the Cedric Mullins that we're going to see going forward? You know, I took a look at some of his stats and I think that some of it is for uh, real. Ho- yeah. Hold on. Sorry to cut you off. I, I don't think I said that. I, I wrote it down, but you said, I don't think- you, you said something about like, um, you know, it, can he sustain something like this? Like, is oh, this, okay. Sorry. Okay. That's yeah. okay. That's okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So I was looking at some of his stats. Um, you know, like I said, I wrote earlier in the week, and his walk rate is almost 10%, which is higher than it's ever been in, in his major league career. But it's not that much different than in 2018 when he came up originally. And then in 2019, when he got sent back down to the minors, that was similar to what he was posting in the minors. His strikeout rate is 17.8%, which is lower than last year, lower than the year before. But it's sort of in the ballpark of what he was doing again in the minor leagues. Where he's getting a little lucky is on his batting average on balls in play. He's batting 372 on balls he puts in play, which is high. But at the same time, what I'll say is Cedric Mullins has the profile of a guy that's going to have a batting average on balls in play that's higher than an average player. He runs really hard at the box. He's naturally fast anyway. And he puts down bunts down the line, which are, you know, a type of ball in play that uh, a lot of other players are going to be out almost every time he's not going to be. So, sure, I don't think he's going to be this level of good for the next decade, but I I don't, you know, there's enough here that I'm seeing, you know, Cedric Mullins could be the center fielder for the next really good Orioles team. I've heard some talk online of the, the extremes of sign him to an extension and trade him for 10 prospects. I, you know, I'm kind of a Mullins moderate. I really like Cedric Mullins. I want Cedric Mullins to be a Baltimore Oriole for now and maybe for the future, but I don't think we need to make a determination on that right now. Keep Mullins in Baltimore for now. What do you think? Absolutely. I mean, yeah, we have him under team control for uh, four more years. Yeah, for a while. So um, I think he only has a year of service time so far. So there's, uh, you know, of course, uh, I would like for his sake for him to be a free agent so he can, you know, get (laughs) get what he deserves. Uh, Of course. But uh, from the Orioles perspective, I mean, yeah, there really is no rush um, uh, to to trade him, to do anything like that. Yeah, let's just keep him, see how he keeps playing, see if there is any, like, serious, serious regression that could make us question his ability. But, yeah, for now, he's going, you know, he's on track to be the center fielder for the next five or so years, and that's a really valuable thing for the Orioles. And... Um, that'd be great if uh, for the next five years we could just pencil him in every day as the leadoff hitter and the starting center fielder. Uh, I mean, how many headaches that would uh, uh, alleviate for Brandon Hyde or whoever the next Orioles manager is. <laughs> That's tremendous to just know 
number one in the lineup and the starting center fielder don't mm-hmm. even have to think about it, right? We just know oh, who. Yeah. There's no <laughs> shuffling. There's no platooning. There's no moving guys around. It's just those two things are set. Yeah, I mean, that's huge. The Orioles didn't even ever really have that during, like, the Buck Showalter era because that's when Brian Roberts started to get hurt a lot, and it was it became, like, Marcakis was leading off a bunch, and then they would have Chris Davis would do it occasionally or Manny Machado or they'd try J.J. Hardy. It was a whole thing. But, yeah, I think you're totally right. If you can have, like, this is the first name in the lineup, 159 out of 162 games, you know, something like that, that's absolutely huge. So, Right. Yeah, big big Cedric Mullins fans here, and let's pump the brakes a little bit on determining what his future is. Let's just enjoy it and see what happens. Right, and we we all know, I mean, just how much – you're right, we didn't know who the lead – I mean, we with it, Showalter entirely, we cycled through leadoff hitters. Um, even Jones hit leadoff on yeah. rare occasion too, and I think even Nate McClouth at one point mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, hit there a little bit. But yeah, I mean, Adam Jones is an example of Buck Walter could rely on Jones to play center field every single day. His spot in the order, five, three, you know, whatever it was, two, one, even as you said, would mm-hmm. rotate. But he was a reliable center fielder. And yeah, when that's kind of the idea of when you get these cornerstone pieces, you get the Bregmans and you get the Correas and you get the you know, the George Springers, it's like, those are the kind of cornerstone pieces that you put there every day in the lineup and just, you know, they're going to be there and you rely on them. And um, it looks like uh, Mullins definitely has the ability to, to do that and have that role for us. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I'm loving it. It's, it's a lot of fun and he brings an exciting uh, brand of baseball to the field. So I'm all about it. So let's talk because we kind of you did mention this. I know you mentioned this talking about Cedric Mullins, maybe possibly potentially going to the all star game. Um, The Orioles essentially this is another thing I kind of touched on is that usually with a team that's as bad as the Orioles record indicates they are. It's you're kind of grasping at straws when it comes to finding that lone all star representative you're going to have. And uh, Ty Wigington comes to mind who was a player who does does not deserve to be anywhere near an all-star game. And yet I think for the 2010 Orioles, he was their lone all-star. Um, the Orioles don't have that problem. They have three players that I think you could legitimately see and, and uh, not really argue going to the all-star game. John means is the obvious first one been pitching like a, a Cy Young for a lot of the year. Cedric Mullins is playing like the best center fielder in baseball at the moment. And then Trey Mancini you know, yes, he's got the feel-good story of returning from cancer and all that stuff, but he's also tearing up the league a little bit right now. And, um, you know, that that's encouraging as well. So I don't think the Orioles are going to send three players to the All-Star game. I think they could send more than one, though. Um, I mean, what are your thoughts there? What, what's the number of players that you think are going to go, and who do you think those players or player will be ultimately? Yeah, definitely. I, so I think the Orioles are going to end up sending the obvious two means mm. and Mullins. Um, yeah. I mean, I think uh, in terms of Mancini, I, I just think it's tough uh, mm. p- for him positionally being the first base DH type. There are a lot of guys in the league that are first base DH types and hit really well. And uh, maybe if he was, 
a very strong if if he was a very good defensive left fielder every day for the Orioles maybe it would be uh he would have an easier ticket to the all-star game uh but I think Means and Mullins I think are the obvious locks and in order for uh in order for Mancini to get there I think he's really gonna have to get hot very soon uh in order for him to be able to do that or, you know, potentially injuries. Because, I, I, you know, I think you could look at numbers and say Trey Mancini's like, I don't know, the fifth or sixth best first baseman in the AL or something like that. I don't know. I'm kind of guessing off the top of my head. Right, but, right. you know, like Abreu's up there as a defending MVP. And there's a couple other other names um, that you would think would come ahead of Mancini. But if one or two of those guys goes down, I could see, you know, because the, the, uh, the reserves are picked by, I think, coaches and players. Um, and, and Trey Mancini, I, you know, it sounds like everybody loves Trey Mancini. So I could see people being like, yeah, send Trey. He's a good dude. He deserves it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think Mullins, he's probably not going to be voted the starter because the starter is voted on by the fans. And I don't see fans being like, oh yeah, the Baltimore Orioles center fielder who probably 70% of them haven't even really heard about. Um, they won't send him. They'll send Mike Trout, which is totally fine. Mike Trout's really good too. But I think it's it's tough for players, fellow players, to not send Mullins. And then yeah, Means has just been so filthy uh, through a no hitter. You know, potentially the best outing of any single pitcher this year was that no hitter. I think he's got to go too. So I think I agree with you that Means and Mullins are going to go. Um, you know, this is pretty different than I think what I was saying before the year, which I think I think I said Tanner Scott would be <laughs> going. Right. Yeah. Uh, he's been more like a mediocre relief pitcher than anything else, but. Um, yeah it's uh i think he was my pick too and he's definitely not going uh (laughs) that's clear um yeah yeah, just just uh to kind of elaborate on my point about the first base position in the Mm. american league uh you mentioned jose abreu there's also vladimir guerrero jr Mm. there's also matt olsen Mm -hmm. and um yandy diaz uh is pretty good so yeah, yeah i think it's tough yeah. And, and, you know, Trey is, is a great first baseman. Um, but yeah, it's a tough position. It's a high offensive bar. And, you know, let's be honest, he's not bringing gold glove caliber defense where like Matt Olson, somebody like Matt Olson kind of does both things really well. So right. it's, it's tough. It's tough. And Mancini really also struggled. He's doing really well now, but he, mm-hmm. he really got off to a really tough start. And I think that might shape perception too. If he had started hot, you know, that might've been more helpful to his cause. His numbers might be a little more padded right now, but. Right. And, yeah. and you know, we should say we're, we're recording this on June 10th, Thursday, June 10th. The all-star game is over a month away. So there is time there, but the, the you know, the rosters are announced before that. So there's less, you know, probably less than a month to go before rosters are actually figured out. Um, so, you know, there's still a couple weeks there. Something could happen, but yeah, I think as it stands, Mancini's probably on the outside looking in, but I would not be shocked if he goes instead of Mullins or something, I, just because, uh-huh. you know, there's only so many spots on the roster and, you know, or if means gets hurt or something like that, um, right, right. you know, I could see something so, like that happening. So you don't think, Mullins is necessarily a lock for the all-star game at this point, assuming he's healthy and everything. If if he's healthy and he plays, you know, I'll say somewhat on this level, not at this ridiculous level this last week or so, but if he plays this level, I I think, yeah, Mullins is a lock, Right. but you know, I don't know. I've not sat down and been like, okay, if I take into consideration a representative from every team, 
right, this right. is who goes, you know. So there could be some sort of wa- roster squeeze and something could happen. But, um, yeah, I'll say I'll say Mullins is is a lock. I'll be right, right there with you. Okay. I think means I think means is less of a lock and more only I only say that because of injury concerns. He's been he's on the IL right now, and I don't think the orders are going to force him back anytime soon. Um, but I would love for means to go and actually play in the game this time. That would be cool. It'd be really and, and it would be very deserving too. I mean, just the steps that he's taken this year, it would really be just how dominant he's been the no hitter, just everything about this year and how great he's been. If he doesn't even get an inning at the all-star game, that would be unfortunate. Yeah. Alex Cora, you son of a gun <laughs> for not you cheater who didn't use the best pitcher in baseball in the all-star game. Shocking. Yeah. Um, all right, let's talk about a pitcher who's not pitching so well. Matt Harvey. We've talked about him on the podcast. I think maybe a month ago, I claimed he was the most obvious trade candidate on this Orioles roster. Um, that's not as true today as we record. I think that's fair. Uh, over his most recent seven starts, he is 0-6 with an 11.79 ERA. That's come over 23 and two-thirds innings. His whip is above two. He's given up you know, two, almost two hits an inning. Uh, then you got, he's not walked that many dudes, but it's really just, he's just getting hit around a bunch. That's, that's the problem. He's given up home runs. What do we do here, Jesse? What do the Orioles do? The Orioles are strapped for starting pitching options that can kind of step in and make a difference. What do the Orioles do with Matt Harvey? Brandon Hyde had some quotes after the game yesterday that indicated he's not going anywhere, at least right now. He's going to start at least one more time, but what do you think the Orioles should do with Matt Harvey? I think the Orioles are going to try to kind of, as you were hinting at, uh, try to keep him on the major league roster, try to uh, rejuvenate him uh, and get him pitching well uh, in time for the trade deadline. I, I am a little concerned that his uh, trade value has not only temporarily plummeted, but has been permanently uh maybe not totally destroyed, but uh, eroded uh, permanently. And the, the thing I'm thinking about is a major league team uh, who wants a quality starting pitcher at the deadline uh, will look at this uh, string of starts by Matt Harvey and know that this is what he's capable of. And this is going to be an alarm, uh, an alarm bell, uh, for a team and they're not going to want to trade away serious prospects, getting a guy who might go, uh, 10 starts in a row, uh, with an ERA over 10, right? Mm-hmm. That's just not, uh, an enthusiastic thing. If a, t- a team can accept a pitcher with a four and a half ERA, that's fine. That's not a problem but they have to know that it's going to be a four and a half ERA (laughs) roughly for the time that they have him. It can't be a four and a half ERA or a 15 ERA, one of the two. Right. So I think the, or I think if he starts pitching well again, which at this point is a big if, um, but if the Orioles can get him to start pitching well again, we might get something for him. It's just not going to going to be a lot. But I don't see a big harm in the Orioles trying to just throw him out there 
and try to get them back on track because the alternatives, it's not like we have a six inning, uh, a routine six inning alternative who's really going to save the bullpen. So I don't really see a downside in keeping him around and seeing if he can figure it out. Yeah, I think that Matt Harvey probably has more value to the Orioles in their current situation than he would have on just about any other team at the moment. Because the Orioles, you know, as we mentioned moments ago, John Means is hurt right now. The Orioles are not going to rush John Means back to the mound. It just makes literally no sense to do. Let him get healthy, do whatever you got to do. They've got this slew of young guys that are AAA, quadruple A kind of guys right now. Zach Lothar, Alex Wells, um, Keegan Aiken, Dean Kramer. Kramer's had some struggles. Lothar, when he's been in the big leagues, has struggled. Alex Wells has had a tough time at AAA up until these last two outings. Um, Keegan Aiken's looked good recently, but, you know, you can't really count on that just yet. Harvey is a guy who, roster flexibility-wise, he cannot – you can't do anything with him. He is got no options, clearly. He's been in the league for uh, – you know, or been around the league for a decade or whatever. You can't demote him. He's got to be either on the big league roster or you DFA him, you know? So that's where I kind of get, I, I get in the mindset of like, what would another team want with him? If he's got no options, you, like you said, he needs to be a guy that's got a four and a half ERA, you know, maybe a 4.75 ERA, something like that. A guy that you can say, all right, he's going to give us five innings. It's probably not going to be the best five innings in the world, but when he leaves the game, we're not going to be totally out of it. And that's just not the pitcher he is right now. So I think right now his trade value is absolutely zero if he had two options remaining and he was an 11 ERA guy, okay, maybe we, we see something about him. We'll trade for him. We'll stash him in AAA and figure something out. That's not where we're at. Um, so yeah, I would agree with you that the Orioles might as well trot him out there every fifth day for a little while. I mean, they did it with Chris Tillman a couple of years ago and Chris Tillman, I think you could probably argue was pitching even worse than Matt Harvey is right now. Um, so yeah, just what were you going to say? Yeah, I, I was just thinking, I mean, a team could still theoretically trade for him in hopes that he does pitch well for them. Yeah. And then just cut him if he doesn't end up doing well. Right. So that that is possible. Uh, yeah, for sure. It's then it you're becomes just not like going to. Yeah, sorry. You're just not going to give up a whole lot. Right. For somebody you might just cut entirely. So then, yeah, it becomes kind of like, what are you willing to give up? to get Matt Harvey in the hands of your pitching staff or pitching development staff. And I think at this moment, that's not a whole heck of a lot, but yeah, to your point, I agree. Just see what he can do a couple more times. It's not going to hurt anything. And uh, you know, the Orioles aren't going anywhere. And at at the very least, I think the Orioles have shown, um, you know, we're willing to let Matt Harvey kind of take his lumps out there. And we don't really mind if he gets knocked around versus I wouldn't want Dean Kramer to just get his, um, his psyche kind of d- destroyed by get, giving up six hits in an inning. And Matt Harvey, the Orioles don't seem uh, too worried about that. So I guess there's some, some level of value in that. Definitely. And, and just kind of to add about how other teams are perceiving Harvey. Uh, this is a guy who hasn't pitched in a while in the major leagues. Um, the, and now he is pitching in the major leagues. He had a few good starts at the beginning of the year. Um, and that was good. Everybody in Baltimore and the organization was encouraged by that, but now kind of with the league, probably adjusting to him a little bit and kind of figuring something out about him now that he's going back and continuing to struggle. I think it's just another 
big red flag for other organizations looking at him. So I think, yeah, definitely he probably is more valuable to the Orioles uh, than he will be another team. And yeah, I mean, it's very possible that if he does end up turning it around even a little bit, uh, that no other team is really going to be willing to offer very much for him because of these last few starts he's had. And the Orioles will just end up keeping him, and he'll be a free agent at the end of the year. And that's a very decent possibility. Or he doesn't make it to the end of the year. Uh, we keep him at the deadline, and he just doesn't work out, and he doesn't make it to the end of the year. So. Right, right. Now, so kind of staying on the deadline thing real quick. I know we didn't go over this in the outline, but I wanted to bring it up real quick just because it was a kind of a story that came out this week was that uh, from MLB.com, um, uh, Mark Feinsand, uh, I guess, put together a, a, an article that's called Feelers Out for O's Hitters, Rocks Hurlers, talking about Orioles and Rockies players that could be dealt at next month's trade deadline. And they mentioned kind of a he mentions kind of a bunch of Orioles players. They talk about Trey Mancini. Um, Anthony Santander, Freddie Galvis, Matt Harvey, Michael Franco, Cedric Mullins, and John Means. So what I think is kind of important is that he says two players not expected to be moved are Cedric Mullins and John Means. Apparently the asking price for them is really high. Um, Then they also talked about Anthony Santander, who has seen his uh, production dip this year. Um, again, the, apparently the asking price in the off season was really high there and he's not expected to move, be moved either. Um, apparently, uh, the quote in the article is Baltimore's asking prices are said to be high. One executive called the request hall for Santander insane, which reflects the time of year as sellers tend to be, to want more to part with players near, uh, I'm sorry, sellers tend to want more to part with players nearly two months before the trade trade deadline. Um, but if two thirds of the league remains in postseason contention come late July, those asking prices could actually go even higher based on supply and demand. Uh, the piece also says neither Matt Harvey nor Michael Franco is playing well enough to generate much interest. Um, however, Freddie Galvis is one of the few expiring contracts that could be moved. So I know that was a whole bunch of information and I don't need, I don't expect you to have an opinion on every single player, but does that general, sort of information of as far as Santander Mullins and means not really being touchable at the moment, Galvis being available. And um, then Mancini is kind of sort of an in-between land there. Does that kind of gel with sort of how you would view the Orioles roster and and their current trade candidates? I would say it gels perfectly with uh, (laughs) uh, how I view the Oriole trade candidates. Um, yeah, so I think, uh, I mean, as we've talked about, uh, I mean, as far as, I mean, I do want to be a little clear about using the word untouchable. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that is a little much. Uh, it, it is. And that's, is, that's my uh, word, not the, not the article. I said that. Right, so. true, true, right. Um, it, it is, I, I think that out of uh, this, this lot here of players that we're talking about, um, the closest one that I am positive will not get dealt uh, is Cedric Mullins. I, I think that's the one guy that I think more than anybody else will not. Um, and the reason I say that is because um, from the Orioles perspective, uh, the Orioles have a potential center fielder of the future. And from the Orioles perspective, Cedric Mullins value right now is really, really high. 
from another team's perspective, looking at him though, uh, he's probably still an unproven quantity. He's had a couple good months, uh, a couple very, 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 uh, as we were talking about borderline MVP, (laughs) uh, all-star game, a couple months. Uh, but he is still not a proven quantity. And because he has so much team control uh, from the Orioles perspective, and because he is going, uh, he has a shot to be the Orioles center fielder of the future, the Orioles are going to be demanding a lot to give up Cedric Mullins. And no other team is going to be willing to give that up for somebody who's had two months of good baseball. That's my take on it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I, I just think there is going to be this tremendous mismatch in how he's viewed. Um, There are probably other center fielders out there that maybe not are as good as Cedric Mullins is right now, but is close and is a lot, makes a lot more sense from an affordability perspective for a lot of other teams. Um, Yeah. The means uh, is a little bit different, though. I think means is not kind of the unproven quantity that Mullins is. I think means is much, much more proven. And we've had discussions about means. I think if the Orioles do deal him, he is going to require an astronomical uh, exchange. Um, I think that is without a doubt. But I do think that that is possible, kind of like Eli referenced a couple of weeks ago or a few weeks ago on the podcast, right? When uh, teams are looking for starting pitchers, if they're looking for an ace, one of the top teams is looking for that one extra uh, push to get them over the edge uh, and win a World Series. They're going to be looking at the worst teams in the league and their rotations. And John Means is going to be on every contender's radar. Um, to see if there is any way to pry him away from the Orioles. So um, I I think that means because he is more proven, he had a really good year last year that built on uh, he's been continually steadily improving. Um, He did. I should say he did struggle for a bit last year, but he, Mm -hmm. he has been steadily, steadily improving. And this year he's taken a, another giant step forward, but it's followed his trajectory of kind of where he's been heading for a while now, whereas Mullins kind of more came out of nowhere. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, that's why I think means is kind of a much more proving quantity in a sense. And I think the teams are going to be a lot more trusting that if they do pay that astronomical price for John means, that they will actually be getting the return that they are expecting for that price. Um, With means, it's a little bit more of a question mark. So that's why I think means is a lot more likely to go than Mullins. I think Mancini uh, is right down the middle. He's much more, I, I think, I think he is much more likely to go than Santander is because the asking price, I think, on Mancini is going to be less than it is on Santander. Um, but uh, with that said, I don't think he's a lock to be traded uh, by any means. Um, and and mm-hmm. I, I think he is kind of a guy who could be dealt, might not be dealt. And I think Santander is, is kind of more in the might be dealt, more likely will not be dealt, whereas he- Mancini is more 50-50. 
Yeah, and I think that that kind of standing sort of reflects how the general, you know, Major League Baseball decision makers seem to view Mancini. Because for this piece, uh, Fine Sand interviewed some people, it looks like, and he, he just calls them, you know, National League executive, American League executive, whatever. And he kind of just asked sort of how Mancini is viewed. And, and this National League executive said, I think he's more of a first baseman slash DH at this point. But the fact that he can run around out there referring to the outfield is certainly a plus. I would be surprised if someone traded for him to be an everyday outfielder, but there are definitely teams that are okay taking a little hit on defense at a bat. So I suppose that could happen. That's so can I just add that's a hilarious description. He can run, he can run around <laughs> a little bit out there. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he'll catch a ball. Right. <laughs> um, and then he went on to say, uh, particularly for an AL team, he could play at first base outfield and DH. Um, someone may look to him as additional depth and to help lengthen the lineup, yada, yada, yada. So basically, you know, Teams are not looking at Trey Mancini as a star, as a three hitter in their lineup. I don't think it doesn't appear for, for, for a contending team. So the Orioles then would have to say, okay, that is what he is for us. That is what he provides for our lineup. Now, yeah, we've got Ryan Mountcastle to kind of step in and sort of replace, not replace, but sort of take the innings that would go to um, uh, Trey Mancini. But, you know, the Orioles are going to be giving up their star. What do they expect back in return? And I think that it, according to this description, it seems like he's sort of a, a tweener that other teams are not totally sure about. So I think there's, again, another a, a bit of a disconnect where sort of to your point, John Means is sort of the one guy that I think both the Orioles view as a legitimate top of the rotation guy, maybe not an ace long term, but definitely a top of the rotation guy. And I think other teams would say, yeah, here's a left handed starting pitcher that can be at the top middle to top of our rotation as a good team and will be here for a long time. That's worth a lot. And there, I could see a connection there, whereas nobody else right now, I think that both the Orioles and the league at large would agree on the analysis of. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, the other thing about Mancini, kind of like you're talking about, I mean, I think his he, he almost has to be dealt to an AL team so that he can DH. I mean, his flexibility is just going to be massively reduced, um, even though he can technically and has played left field no he's definitely not preferable out there so uh and to lock him into first base is not probably an ideal situation for teams that definitely as of now at least barring injury already have a first baseman who may be very similar to Trey Mancini and the fact that they can really only play first base at least a lot of them so um yeah, I think that if Mancini is dealt, he's going to probably be dealt to an American League team where he's going to be able to DH. I think there is maybe a tiny bit of value. Uh, I, I don't see him uh, as a potential starting left fielder every day for any team, but a team might be a little more willing to trade for him, knowing that if necessary, we can stick them out in left field. I think that's how teams would view mm -hmm. it is that, yeah. okay, maybe we do just, you know, he has really good numbers against this starting pitcher. We have our first base. We have our DH locked down. You know what? We're going to take our left fielder out of the lineup tonight and just put Trey out there and let him mash against this starting pitcher tonight, who he historically has done very well against. There could be a situation like that, um, but I think like him starting in left field uh, is pretty much out of the question uh, for yeah. him anywhere. Yeah, 
definitely fair. Uh, you know, we've got almost two months until the trade deadline. More and more of these stories are going to pop up. And I think it's going to be an interesting topic as Oriole fans to kind of follow because, you know, the Orioles aren't done this rebuild yet, but every year we get a little bit closer. And if a guy gets traded, you know, we're automatically going to be analyzing whatever the return is there. So it's, it's a bummer to sort of be in this, this seller mode for another year, but it kind of just is what it is. I'm hoping maybe next year, maybe the year after uh, that we put a stop to it, but yeah, definitely something to keep an eye on uh, through the next two months. And it, right. I, I will say about that, I mean, it is sad, of course, to see our players go. It, there's definitely a sad component to that. Um, and and uh, the Orioles have been, as you said, in this position for a long, for a while now. Um, there was a point during Showalter's era where we were buying and it was, it gets really exciting when you go out and buy a star or, you know, an all-star or something like that. That's really exciting. Seeing the returns, though, there is an exciting component to that, at least Absolutely. for me. So uh, seeing potential prospects, I get excited about that. So, Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that kind of rolls us perfectly into talking about a current top prospect in the Orioles system. Grayson Rodriguez came into the season with some high accolades. Uh, he has continued to produce this year, started the year in high A Aberdeen, over five starts. Uh, had a 1.51, or I'm sorry, a 1.54 ERA, had struck out 40 batters in just 23 and a third innings. That earned him a promotion to double A buoy, where he's currently tossed 10 innings over two starts and has allowed just one earned run while striking out 14. Uh, his, uh, it looks like his season batting average against is only 148. His season whip across both levels is 0.78, and his season ERA across both levels is 1.35. This has been enough that Baseball America has named him their top pitching prospect in all of baseball. I think they've got him 11th overall uh, among all players and then number one amongst pitching prospects. Uh, you know, we knew Grayson Rodriguez was good. I think we've gushed about him maybe even just last week, but this is sort of another level, Jesse. So were, were you surprised to see that Rodriguez is now the top pitching prospect in all of professional baseball? Uh, no, not really. I mean, I it, it of course, I was surprised to hear the news, but yeah. when thinking about it, it's not surprising. I mean, this is an extremely talented guy um, who probably, uh, barring a serious injury, is almost a lock to eventually make the Orioles and be a major league pitcher. Um, so, no, the, he throws very hard. He's been just dominant. I mean, a .78 whip, that's Clayton <laughs> in the major leagues. That's Clayton Kershaw, Max Scherzer during their prime years level, right? I mean, that's just an unheard of whip. Um, so I, completely dominant. So any whip under one is good, <laughs> let alone point, under .8 is just ridiculous. Right. So um, no, I, I, it's not uh, surprising in that sense. Uh, that he's Baseball America's top prospect, but it's definitely exciting. Yeah, I mean, it's the Orioles have had top pitching prospects in the past. I think Dylan Bundy was the top pitching prospect in all of baseball when the Orioles had him. Uh, Kevin Gossman was very highly thought of. Brian Mattis back in the day, very highly thought of. You know, so we've been here before. So let's not say immediately this dude is going to be 
like you kind of you you said pitching at the level of a Max Scherzer or a Clayton Kershaw. Obviously, he's putting those numbers up in Double A, and I and I'm not saying you thought he was he's that Correct, level, right? But right, yeah. I'm saying fans at large, he's pitching very well. Let's hope he continues to pitch very well. The Orioles are being very cautious with him, which I think right now that's exactly what to do. He's still a young guy. He's 21 years old pitching at Double A. He's young for the level. Big guy hasn't had injury concerns to this part to to this point. Uh, fingers crossed that continues. But yeah, I mean, super, super uh, exciting. Then the next question becomes, and I think Eli already answered this for himself earlier uh, a couple weeks ago. He thinks Grayson Rodriguez is going to pitch in Baltimore at some point this season. I, I think that's a little bit pushing the envelope. That's a what stretch. Are your, yeah. Yeah. yeah um, so, uh, and just to be clear, to clarify uh, my last point, um, I was just citing Scherzer right, right. and Kershaw to prove how dominant he has been. Um, I, I, we I know. Trying to, yeah, to uh, say that he's a lock to be Max Scherzer. No, no, no. Know, that would be great. Um, but uh, no, I, I do think, uh, I, I, I mean, maybe Eli saying that kind of made me question what I was thinking my timeline would be for him a little bit. Um, I will say that, but I, I think more, I think next, next year is more likely, like you were saying, this guy is 21 years old. I think also this is a guy that was drafted out of high school who is now, in double a for the first time and right. he hasn't even had a full double a season um so i do think i think eli was kind of saying like he'll be a september call up um but i think i think especially with the reduced number of september call-ups now uh for a major league roster i think it's much more likely that like he'll be a September call up next year or something like that. Um, I think this year would be pushing it. Uh, I, I also don't for service time reasons. I don't see a real reason why the Orioles would do that exactly. Yeah. Um, so I, I definitely think next year sometime is, is much more likely if not the year after, I mean, I I'd be much more thinking, you know, next year to the year after rather than, rather than thinking about this year. Well, and so what I typically do when, when a question of like, when is this prospect going to debut? I go, Fangraphs has, they bought roster resource or roster resource is, is a cool thing, cool tool that's not part of Fangraphs. And what they have on there is if you go to the Orioles roster resource, you can scroll down to the minor leaguers and it'll tell you when their rule five status comes up. And Grayson Rodriguez won't have to be put on the 40 man to avoid the rule five until following until December of next year. Whereas guys like DL Hall, Kevin Smith, Blaine Knight, um, Taryn Vavra, uh, Robert Newstrom, who hit that bomb the other night uh, or the other week that we talked about, those guys all have to be added to the 40 man roster this December. If not, then they become subject to the rule five draft. A guy like DL Hall is going to get added before Grayson Rodriguez, I think to the 40 man I think Taryn Vavra gets added before Grayson Rodriguez does. I think Kevin Smith gets added. Blaine Knight gets added because these are all guys that you're forced to. The Orioles have to make a decision there or else another team could take them like they did Zach Pop this year, the way the Orioles have taken Tyler Wells, Max Scruller. So I would agree that I think this season is pushing it a little bit. I think next season, yeah, let's put them on the 40-man because we got to put them on the 40-man in December anyway. Even if we start, him, start letting him throw in Baltimore in July or August, 
yes, we'll start the service clock, but we can avoid the super two anyway. So it doesn't really hurt us. Um, so yeah, I, I think next season, sometime you see Grayson Rodriguez in Baltimore. I think the same for DL hall, maybe DL hall could come up this year, but again, he doesn't have to be on the 40 man until December anyway. So I could see DL hall waiting until next season as well. You know, this, we got to have some patience here. If this was, if this was 2023 and the Orioles are, you know, potentially going to be a 90 win team. Yeah. Maybe they push the envelope a little bit, force one of these guys up, but the most important thing here is the development of these guys for the long-term health of themselves, the long-term health of their careers. And of course the Orioles organization. So I would agree with you. Uh, he won't be up this year. Yeah. Um, okay. Talking about that, uh, the Orioles are going to be restocking their farm system uh, next month. This year's MLB draft takes place. I think the weekend of the um, MLB all-star game mock drafts are coming out all the time. Uh, one of the latest ones comes from MLB Pipeline, uh, as you guys know. And as we've discussed before, the Orioles are picking fifth overall this year. And, you know, the various mock drafts have have mocked tons of different players to the Orioles this year. This latest one from Pipeline has the Orioles taking Boston College outfielder Sal Frelick. And the quote in the article from the writer is that a year ago, the Orioles saved $2.6 million versus pick value by taking Heston Kerstad at number two. And uh, most clubs expect them to pursue, pursue a similar strategy with another college bat. Um, in this instance, it would be Frelick from Boston College. And I'm looking at the uh, mock draft right now. And, you know, somebody that is notably still available at five that they don't have the Orioles taking is Vanderbilt's Kumar Rocker. Another one is shortstop Jordan Lawler, who's a high school shortstop. Uh, another one is Khalil Watson, another high school shortstop. These are these are guys that have repeatedly been, uh, you know, mocked higher than fifth. And here the Orioles would be skipping over them to take a guy that I think Pipeline has ranked uh, in the teens as far as where they fall in the pecking order of draft prospects this year. So there's been a lot of consternation over the last year about the Kerstad pick from 2020. Clearly he's had some health issues over the last year. He's not yet played a professional game while a bunch of the other people that have were picked around him have. It's tough to really judge that yet. Hasn't worked out just yet, but that could change overnight. But what are your thoughts, Jesse, if the Orioles kind of go back to the well here and go, yeah, we loved that strategy so much. We're going to do it again this year and pick a player that is not worth the fifth overall pick, but we'll save some money and uh, sign some guys later on in the draft. What are your, your thoughts there? My initial inclination is I don't like the idea of it. And <laughs> what, what I'll say about this is when I'm coming into a major league draft, right, especially when I have the number five pick overall, I am drafting for a potential perennial all-star or a hall of famer. Even I'm looking for the Manny Machado, maybe in the draft or somebody along those lines, right? A, a star, right? When you have, I mean, the number five overall pick does not come to teams very often. So I feel like when you have it, it's important to try to take advantage of it, right? So my initial inclination is the Orioles should try to find this, you know, the, the, the person that they think has the highest upside that they think will be a star in the major leagues. Now, I think it is important to keep in mind only about half of first-round draft picks ever make the major leagues. 
and it, it's kind of a shocking number to me at least um and you know if you go down uh the draft board into later rounds it gets even lower and lower and lower the the number and the percentage so i think it's important like when there is the potential, I don't like the idea of the Orioles passing on a potential perennial all-star uh, for somebody who may or may not make major leagues just to save some money to find, to sign some later picks in the fourth and sixth round. Sure. A fourth and a sixth round pick have a chance at the major, at making the major leagues, but your best chance to, to, draft a major league baseball player is to use that first pick. So I think the emphasis should be and and how the Orioles the the Oriole focus should be on drafting the best that they can with that number one pick and then working around that pick, making sure you sign that pick and then doing the best you can with the later guys. In my estimation, if they think that somebody is very undervalued and that perennial all-star slash hall of famer player is not there. Then I think that this strategy makes a little more sense. Um, but if uh-huh. they're passing up on a Bobby Witt or a Manny Machado or an Adley Rutschman or something along these lines uh, for this strategy, I don't like it at all. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm kind of in the same headspace there. One thing I will say is that I've looked at a lot of these different mock drafts. The names are changing all over the first round. Part of that is the Orioles saying they'll go under slot. If that's what they're telling other teams, you know, then I understand the mock drafts for the Orioles specifically kind of being all over the place because there's a bunch of guys that would probably go under slot. If that slot, I'm not sure what the slot is for the fifth overall pick. Say it's $5 million, $6 million, and there's a guy willing to take $3 million. That is still really good. Yeah. The Orioles would probably think about that guy, but I'm talking about like all of the top 10 picks. They're all bouncing all over the place. They're all different. I think this draft seems a little bit unpredictable. Last year, it was very much like Spencer Torkelson's going number one. Austin Martin was viewed as like the top athlete or whatever. Clearly the Orioles didn't love Austin Martin or they would have taken him number two overall. When the Orioles picked Rutschman number one, he was like the clear number one pick there definitely doesn't seem to be a clear number one pick going into this draft. That's almost certain. There's basically no high school pitching at the top of the draft because the only one that's even remotely in the discussion is this guy named Jackson Job, who I've seen him everywhere from like second overall to like 20th overall in some of these mock drafts. There is a ton of high school shortstops. And I think that's a crapshoot for the most part. And there are, um, you know, a, a decent amount of college hitters right there. So What I will say is if the Orioles view these guys, this is kind of what you said moments ago. If the Orioles do view these guys all somewhat similarly, then sure. Take a guy that you think you can save some money on to get better players later on. But no, of course, I don't want them passing over some really good talent just because like, oh yeah, like we do think he's better, but maybe we don't think he's an extra million dollars better. So we'll just get this guy. I don't know. Those discussions get a little weird for me. And, you know, the Orioles history with the fifth overall pick. I don't want to worry anybody. But 2009, the Orioles drafted fifth overall. They took Matt Hopgood. That didn't go well. No. Mike Trout got picked later in that first round. Randall Grichuk got taken later in that first round. Uh, 
Jacob, uh, I'm not, I'm sorry, not Jacob Turner, Mike Leak, who was a pretty solid career, Mike Miner, Zach Wheeler, guys that had really good careers, the Orioles did not take. And Matt Hobgood signed for less money than the guy taken after him, signed for less money than the guy taken ninth overall, signed for less money than the guy taken 11th overall. You know, I'm not saying the Orioles cut a deal then either, but they didn't pay full slot. I don't want to make the same mistake twice. So, yeah, I'm all about going to get the best player available because, yeah, like you said, fifth overall, that's a really good shot to get a really good cornerstone piece. And I wouldn't want the Orioles to give that up just to save a little money now to get better depth or whatever, because the high end talent, that's how your team, that's how you get go to the playoffs. You can always build around high end talent, but if you have a bunch of mediocre players, you're going to be a mediocre team. Yeah, Um, absolutely. So we'll see. I I don't know enough about any of the individual players. This guy from Boston college might be great. I, I feel like you don't hear too much about guys coming out of Boston college and being really good major league baseball players, but Mike Trout's from New Jersey. And I don't think there's a bunch of New Jersey high schoolers that, going to be major league baseball players either. So I'm not going to judge a book by its cover, but uh, just in general. Um, yeah. Not in love with, with the, uh, with the talk here, but I'll trust Mike. Uh, I'll trust Mike Elias in terms of player development and uh, amateur recruitment, because so far he's done a nice job. We're not, we're definitely not the podcast that thinks everything Mike Elias does is, is great. Um, however, player development right now, I, I do trust him. So I, I won't, I won't, uh, rant too much on my guys for sure um yeah and before we get out of here we do want to mention that uh you know we talked last week about players pitchers in particular using sticky substances on the baseballs to get either a better grip or to increase the revolutions per minute on the baseball uh pete alonzo matt slugger had some thoughts there and actually has a bit of a uh conspiracy theory that major league baseball is changing the baseballs with the thought of the uh, incoming free agent class in mind uh, we did want to talk on that this week we're getting a little bit long so i think we're going to wait until next week and get eli's thoughts there um so be sure to come back next week to hear that discussion and then what we do every week before we get out of here we'll talk about or we'll we will play the game guess that oriole last week's oriole was eddie murray orioles hall of famer and so how this works is we give you three facts about a former oriole and then you can play along at home, either shout it out on the couch. We won't be able to hear you, but you can do that. Or you can email us the warehouse at gmail.com with your answers, or you can tweet at us, Instagram, Facebook, whatever you'd like to do um, with who you think the Oriole of the week is. Okay. So the first fact about this week's Oriole is that before and after his career in major league baseball, where he played for the Orioles and Rockies, he also played in the Mexican league this player was a catcher and he was known for his ability to throw out base runners and had a strong arm behind the plate and then finally this player who had 820 career major league at bats never hit a triple very interesting that is interesting even for a, a catcher which we mentioned who notoriously a slow position typically they hit one or two triples you know even in a year. So to have none over 820 career at bats, that's an accomplishment, I guess, is the word. Yeah. I mean, you would think, uh, you know, you go to a a strange stadium, it takes a weird bounce. You hit one in the gap, it takes a weird bounce and uh, outfielder falls outfielder misplays it. Exactly. Right. So that's, it is kind of an accomplishment. (laughs) 
yeah so yeah get your answers in there and uh, we will reveal who that oriole is next week um also in addition to the pete alonzo discussion we will you know recap the orioles action from the week they are on a road trip this week they're going to play three in tampa bay and then four in cleveland uh jesse any predictions on what the outcome of those seven games will be yeah, I, I think we are going to struggle against Tampa Bay, and I think we are going to do well against Cleveland. So, wow. Yeah, I'll say we lose two out of three to, I'll say we get swept by Tampa, but then take three out of four from Cleveland. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, the pitching situation is a little uncertain right now. The only pitching matchup confirmed for this weekend against Tampa is Keegan Aiken versus Ryan Yarbrough which, you know, Aiken's been pitching better, but Yarbrough's really good. So That doesn't look positive. <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't. Um, I, I still think the Orioles will probably snag one from the Rays. Um, and I'll say they split the four with Cleveland. Okay. So so three and uh, four for the O's this coming yeah. week. We which both had three and four it, at the yeah, end. Yeah, that's yeah. a good result. That's a good result. Yeah, it, we wouldn't have a silver lining segment uh, it, with a three and four week probably. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, because yeah, that would be an upward uh, trend. They would be right. trending. But I think, I think the Orioles are trending to be like fifty-eight and one hundred and three this year. So, oh, I'd, no. I'd like to avoid a hundred losses. That'd be yeah, nice. That, that'd be really good. So, yeah. Um, yeah, and we don't have a silver lining segment this week because the Orioles did go three and two. So <laughs> there you go. Me- yes, <laughs> mediocre uh, is is what we're all about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I think that's all we've got. So, um, yeah. So what you guys can do to support the podcast is subscribe to us on whatever your preferred podcast application is. If you're able to please leave a rating, a positive rating would be great. That helps us reach other Orioles fans who are interested in a podcast about this type of stuff. You can also follow us on our various social media channels at the warehouse pod on uh, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We also have a YouTube channel where you can go and you can listen to the podcast there. Um, Occasionally there's also a video component to it. However, sometimes editing happens and uh, or lighting is really bad and we don't put the video up there, but you can go subscribe to our YouTube channel and, and check out the podcast that way. Um, and yeah, you can also follow us on our various individual social media channels. Jesse, do you want to give your uh, your uh, information as well as Eli's? Sure. People can follow me on Instagram and on Twitter at Juggernaut8678. And people can follow Eli on Twitter at Elijah Ginsburg and on Instagram at Ginzy55. Nice. And I am on uh, both of those as well at underscore Ty Young. And I'm also at CamdenChat.com with the blog content. All right, everybody. Well, thank you so much for listening to the Warehouse Podcast. Until next time, I'm Tyler. I'm Jesse. Let's go O's. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.